of you who have been around here for a while and have maybe heard me tell my testimony a time or two know that as a big part of that testimony, I talk about uh, uh, my son, John, (laughs) right over here, Uh, of whom I am very proud, by the way, both sons. Uh, The other one works in restaurants, so he's never available on Sundays, but John has chosen to do ministry with us, and that's a real blessing. But I think you remember as part of this testimony my saying that uh, when they were growing up, John was a hellion. Uh, I mean, that in the worst sense of the word, too. Anything that could happen, he was into. Anything. And Karen and I knew that John was not like that. That just wasn't John. He hadn't been raised that way. Why would he do those awful things? Well, come to find out, there was a very good reason that he was doing those awful things. And it was Alton Alexander standing right here. Uh, Alton was his best buddy uh, in high school and in, in college years. They would go down to the beach. Okay. They would go down to the beach and, and scavenge up some people that thought they were pretty good in volleyball, play them a time or two and let them win, and then take every bit of their money. They... they uh, financed a whole summer, I think, doing that very thing. And who knows what else they were into? I don't care what else they were into. But both of these guys are walking with the Lord today. Alton is the family life pastor at the Vineyard Church in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, we are delighted, absolutely delighted to have him here. He's the only pastor that I know of that Karen has ever said, don't you ever set foot in my house again. (laughs) Welcome, Alton Alexander. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, that was pretty much it. That's all we did. Uh, We didn't do anything other than that, play volleyball on the beach and didn't talk to girls or anything else other than that. So... Um, hey, let me go ahead. Uh, I'm going to ask you, we're going to start a little bit differently maybe than what you're used to, but can I go ahead and get you to stand back up to your feet? Um, here's, here's what I want to start with. I want to give you a moment because we all come in to this place for, for different reasons, right? Uh, some of you, you're here because you came last week and the week before that, and this is sort of your routine. This is something you grew up with. Uh, some of you are here because you feel obligated. Some of you are here because you really want to. Some of you are here because you're at the end of your rope. Some of you are, you see what I'm saying? Like everybody comes in here with a different expectation of what they hope might happen. Some of you are just making it through in the next probably 45 minutes and getting a good nap in. My hope is that you wake up refreshed, okay? Um, some of you are gonna, you're coming in here because you really want to encounter God and you're not sure how that works. Some of you come in here because you're just desperate, um, and so here's, here's my hope and my prayer is that, that God would do whatever he needs to do to show up for you however you need him to show up. And so what I want to do is I want to start with that in mind. I want to start with that tension and that reality. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. And this is the beauty of being somebody that's not from here. So I can do crazy stuff and kind of get away with it. That's what I told George. I was like, oh, yeah, I can, I can push them to the edge and watch them jump over um, and then just stand back and watch. And so here's what I want to ask you to do, taking a risk this morning. And here's what I know. The more desperate you are, the more willing you are to take a risk. And so some of you in here that are desperate this morning, you need to push yourself. If you need something from God, you, you need to be uninhibited in your approach towards him this morning. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Maybe it's raising a hand in just a moment. Maybe it's opening your hands like this to receive something. I think something happens when we take a posture with our body physically, what we emotionally and spiritually want to have happen. Some of you, you may need to kneel. Some of you, you may need to sit and just simply reflect for a moment. Some of you, you might need to kind of come forward. That's a tradition you grew up with. There was something about coming forward or something like that. I want to give you permission to do that. I don't know. Um, what it might look like for you. 
but you need to put yourself in a position of where God can begin to speak to you. You need to approach him saying, here's what I need. Some of you come in here, you're even mad at God this morning because there's unanswered prayer. There's things that have been done and said to you that you feel like he's responsible for, and you need to have an honest conversation with him about it. So let's just start there. You know what your thing is, and so let's just start with that reality. You take your position, you hold a hand, open it up, whatever it might be. You kneel, you sit, whatever it might be. I'm going to give you just a moment. Go ahead and get to that place. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We're being as honest and real as we possibly can in this moment, Lord. God, for me, I'm begging you, I'm begging you that you would pour out your spirit on me this morning. God, that... I'm overwhelmed with the privilege of just being here. I'm overwhelmed with the way you've rewritten my life. I'm overwhelmed that you want to speak to me. And so, God, I ask for your anointing this morning, for your power to come forward, for your presence to be felt, for prayers to be answered, for people to be healed, people to be renewed to their faith, and God, you would awaken, awaken something inside of each and every one of us this morning that wasn't when we walked through those doors. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. So today, this will, this will probably be one of your favorite messages ever. Um, say that, uh, beca- not because I'm teaching it, because of the subject matter in and of itself. Um, I, I pretty much believe that we have two favorite subjects uh, that we like to talk about. If you want to bring the house lights back up, you can, so the folks can kind of see their notes. Two favorite subjects, two things that we love to talk about more than anything else. Uh, first one would be other people. We love to talk about other people. We love conversations about other people, but even more than them, we like us some us, don't we? Okay, your favorite subject, your favorite conversation is you. I was, I was, I was thinking about prepping for this, and so we're down here on vacation. My family still lives here, and we come back and visit. And it was funny. Have you ever caught yourself, like, think, if you see a photo of you and some other people, who's the first person you look at in the photo? Man, we are self-centered. Are we not? I'm like, do I look good? Is that the good side of me? Am I skinny in this one? What is, you know what I'm saying? Like, instinctively, we like us. Our favorite conversation is us. And other people. I mean, think about your conversations over the last week. Just start going back through the Rolodex of of things you've talked about, conversations you've had, and that kind of thing. You're going, well, not everything. I'm saying not everything, but the two that take up the most space in your time, thought, and, and ideas is you and other people. Right? That's the reason we have reality TV. Okay? That's why. That's why it is so... It is so big and so broad, right? Have you ever been watching Survivor and you've watched somebody do something and you're going, they're what? They're an idiot. I'm far smarter than that human is, right? I could do a better job than them. Because we look at this and we sort of reflect ourselves and other people all the time. That's the tension that we live in all the time. And see, here's what you need to know. Is that no matter where you go, every environment, every relationship, and every place that you go, you take you with you. And that's why this is so important today. Because wherever you go, you take everything that you have about you to that place. Every environment that you're a part of, work, home, neighborhood, whatever it is, you are a part of that place. And you're contributing to what's happening there. I had a friend of mine say like this one time. um, The culture that you're a part of, that you're contributing to, that you, you participate in, you help develop it. By doing one of three things. The things that you do, the things that you don't do, and the things that you allow other people to do. You craft and create the culture around you. And here's what I want to say. A little more tension here is this. Is if you're having conflict relationally in more than one environment that you're a part of. Okay? More than one. I'm not saying this is true about you. But here's what I'm telling you. This is something you should consider You are the common denominator in the conflict, okay? Meaning this, where you are, there is conflict. And if you have it more than one place, here's what I want to challenge you to this, is think, what are you doing to contribute to that? 
Because our favorite subject is us and other people. It is. It's the thing that consumes most of our thought and our time. It's, it's funny. Um, we, we think life really works a little bit like this. Like there's a movie being made right now. At this very moment, there's a movie being made. And in your movie, you're the star, aren't you? Right? And where you go, the cameras go. So it was kind of like if, if, um, if John got up and left right now, so would the camera. And the camera would go with John, and we would all just sit here like extras waiting for you to return, wouldn't we? I mean, because that's the film. That's the film that John is participating in. He's the star of the film. We're just extras in it. And the way we perceive life sometimes is that's how we function. Like where I go, the camera goes, and everything else is subject to me. And when I return, then the, your part can return. You can, you can participate again. And we just see ourselves. Our, our favorite idea is us. And so, here's what I want to say is, as we go through this today, is that wherever you go, every environment, relationship, and opportunity that you have, is that you bring you to every one of those. So, how do we get the best you there? What's God's desire for you in that environment? Listen to this. We're going to go through Romans chapter 12. Now, I'll tell you, there's Bibles over here on the tables and stuff like that. If you, if you have, um, like, one of these beautiful little devices like this, I don't know if you know you have the Bible with you everywhere you go. There's literally a, a Bible app on here that has over 40 different languages. So if you get lost in a foreign country and can't get out, you can, you can even give the Bible to those people. You know what I'm saying? So if you want to read along with me, it's Romans chapter 12. It's in your notes as well. And I apologize at the end of one of the slides, John messed it up. So um, <laughs> George told me to say that. Actually, it was my fault. Um, so let, let me start with, with reading this, okay? Ready? So this is written by Paul, uh, Book of Romans. And this is real funny. I, I love the way he starts this. He says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Now, here's what you should know when you read that. It's kind of like one of those moments where you're like, Hey, I remember when I used to do dumb stuff like you do. Like, he's about to tell you something that's offensive to you, and yet he's granting himself permission to do it. I love this. Paul's about to say, hey, I'm going to hurt your feelings in about, I don't know, a nanosecond, but it's okay because my feelings were hurt too. You remember that? You remember you say things to younger people sometimes you're going, oh, I remember doing dumb stuff like that. Now, this is what Paul, he goes, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed each of you. Now, here, let me stop right here. Now, I love this because Paul starts this whole idea of saying, hey, you know, what you, you know what you really need to do is that you need to have a real understanding of who you are and who you're not. Now, when you read this, you might think this is only written for the arrogant. This is only written for them. And he's saying, be of sober mind and judgment of who you are. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think that because of you've got success or, or you've been able to achieve something, that somehow you had everything to do with that. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, LeBron James, you guys know who he is, right? He is six foot eight, 256 pounds. The guy has about a 38-inch vertical, okay? Now, I think we would all agree, LeBron James is pretty good at basketball, right? Okay, you make that guy five foot two, two fifty. He's he's not the same person, right? You make me six foot eight, two hundred fifty pounds, thirty eight inch vertical. I'm not here this morning. I'm making a million dollars playing basketball somewhere. Okay, because here's the thing: he was given a gift by God for his size and shape and form and all that kind of stuff. He literally had nothing to do. It wasn't like he woke up at 12 and go, I'm thinking I'm going to be 6'8", about 6'8", six, 6'7", six, and he just started growing under his own, right? We, we get that. And so Paul's saying, be of sober mind. Understand who you are. And I live in this tension. I really do. Because I know that um, my wisdom and my ability to communicate and that kind of stuff, I could see it as something that I own. It's mine. It's my ability. It's my, my, my talent and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is God just made me this way. God has made me this way. 
And I have to be of sober mind and sober judgment. Now, the other end of the spectrum, though, is we, I think we do. We have, a, we have the ability to sort of drift to the corners, the ends of the spectrums on different ideas and thoughts. And so there's this idea sometimes there are folks that think way too much of themselves, and you know who they are, right? And then there's this other side of the spectrum where we don't think we have enough to do what God's asked us to do. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel appreciated. We don't feel gifted. We look at other people, and we see what they have and what we don't. And so what we end up doing is we end up living in these shadows and we end up living in this life that is less than because we're just like, well, if I had, if I could, if I, you know, you know what I'm saying? And both of those are bad. Here's what I want to say. There's some of you that stand in here this morning. You think your success is based on what you did and your abilities and your thoughts and your ideas. Here's what I want you to understand. Under heaven and earth, God has control of it all. He does. And every good gift that's been given to you, trust me, it's at his hand that it happened. Because scripture teaches us this, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, but the rain falls from heaven, not from your house. And here's the other side. There's some of you sit in here this morning, you're going, I don't have what I need to do what God's called me to do. I watch all these other people. I don't have it. I don't, I'm just not gifted. I'm not talented. I'm not loved in those ways. And that's not true. It's saying that the creator of the universe doesn't have the ability to empower you to do the things that he's called you to do. And you sit in the shadows. And Paul's saying, be sober-minded. Understand who you are and who you're not. But understand who he is. Let me keep going. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Now, I, you know, for me, I read that and I go... Duh, right? Is anybody in here confused that there's a difference between your nose and your toes? Okay? Is anybody... See, we're not, right? Paul writes this, and hey, there's many bodies, different members. They do different things. We all get that. The reason he's setting us up so easy is because he wants to tell us something really difficult about the context of all of this. And it goes like this. It says, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to to all the others. Which, that's an important thing. Don't miss that. Each member belongs to the other, meaning that you and I, we're connected. We're connected. Not because you made some some choice and I made some choice, but when we said yes to Jesus, that made us brothers and sisters. We're connected. We have relationship. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Your gift of prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now, let me unpack some of this because it's interesting. He says that we belong to one another, that we're relationally connected to one another. And then he goes on to say that if you have a particular gift, you need to exercise that. You need to do what God's created you to do. You don't need to live in the shadows and not do anything. But you need to understand where it came from. And we all need to work towards that place of balance and understanding. We need to walk into that place. But he, he, more than that, he says this, love must be sincere. It must be patient. It, it must be connected with one another. There's this concept of honoring, meaning to value somebody greater than even yourself. And so this calling that we have, the you and I, he's saying this, we all work in this together. Our two favorite subjects, you and me, Right? We're connected to one another. We're called to something to work together. We're called to be a part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. But more than that is we must love one another. The purpose that we have gets trumped by the love that we have for one another. It does. Here's what's crazy. I I lead a team of staff, and I tell them all the time, it's like, nobody's more important than the mission, but here's what's crazy. People are the mission. Let me say that again. Nobody's more important than the mission, but people are the mission. That's, that's the calling I have on my life. That's the calling that you have on your life if you're a Christ follower, is that God calls us to love one another. And I thought this to be really interesting. 
the very last line. Can you bring up the last slide? There it is right here. Um, uh, no, no, go back one for me. Is Look at the very, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now, here's the church I go to, um, we have a couple ameners. You ever been in one of those church ameners, the people that talk back to you? It's like I know that people are still alive and breathing at my church. It's real interesting. The hand raisers here, I love you people. Love you. You're my people. You are. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. I need a verbal response, okay? Has everybody got this? Okay. Let me ask you a question. If you're hoping for something, has it happened yet? No. Let me say it again. If you're hoping for something, has it happened yet? No. Okay. Here's what's interesting. Paul says this. Hey, you and I, are, we're connected. We have, we have a role to play in the kingdom of God. And that we must love one another and honor each other. But here's what you should know. You need to be joyful in your hope. Meaning, in, in the moments where it hasn't happened yet, the thing that you're praying for, the, the, the thing that you're hoping for, here's what he's saying. When it hasn't happened, that's when you express joy. When there's affliction, when there's pain, when there's strife, that's when you exercise patience. Not when you get to the other side. You're going, whew, I'm glad that's over. I can be real patient now. Everybody can, okay? He's telling us this. Is, this is hard. This is difficult to live in this manner. It is difficult to love one another with this kind of, uh, of sincerity, this kind of uh, the ability to honor one another. And here's the thing. Sometimes we feel like it's a choice. But listen to what it says in John 13, 34, 35. It says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, here's what you need to understand. The word command is not if you're into it, if you'd consider it, you might take it upon request, right? If you have the time this weekend, okay? It's I command you to love one another as I have loved you. And I don't know if you know the end of Jesus' story. It goes like this. I'm going to die so that you can live. I'm going to raise myself from the dead so that you can live forever. That's the kind of love he's talking about. But here, it's, it's so interesting. Do you know this is one of the few places, probably the only place, where it gives us a command that has an outward expression attached to it, like we must look a particular way? Right? There, there's no, nothing else in Scripture that says, hey, you need to do these things and these things to outwardly look like a believer in Christ. It was funny. I was teaching uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm coming home uh, on the interstate, and I pass a trucker. And this is so funny. And I'm driving along, and I just kind of glance over. And on the door of the trucker, uh, the 18-wheeler, it, it's whole, this is, I was so confused. Okay? Somebody can probably help me with this. So... On the door, there are two emblems that he has attached to the door, okay? Now, if you've ever seen the mud flaps on the back of a trucker that has sort of the silhouette of the lady like, hey, that thing, you know what I'm talking about. You know which lady I'm talking about. Everybody knows her, okay? Nobody's confused. I'm not doing it again. So, <laughs> so on one side of the door is, is the trucker lady, okay? The silhouette and all that jazz. Now, on the other edge of the door is an ichthus, one of those Jesus fishes on the other. And I'm just, the t- I'm going, I do not know what you're trying to tell me, sir. I don't. I don't. I'm confused. You love the ladies. You love the Lord. You're just, you're walking in that tension at the same time. I don't know. But there's nothing, ready? there's nothing other than this thing that we've ever been told in Scripture that says, outwardly, you must look like this. And here's the thing. If you want people to know who Jesus is, you want people to know about the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God, the only thing that you really need to focus on is this, is loving other people. And I'm not talking about love that just gives people permission to do whatever they want to do. That's not, that's not love. That's not love. I'm talking about the kind of love that goes the extra mile, the kind of love that really speaks the truth in moments. But I'm talking about this. It's the only thing that we're called to do in an outward way that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. It's the only thing. It's not funny haircuts, places we go, clothes we wear, a symbol on our car. None of that. But it's the only outward one that we're called to do. And so how do we become, how do we take the best me 
to all those situations, those environments? How do I take me to every environment and relationship and be that kind of person? Here's, here's what I want to say. And this is the, this is the part that you've got to get. You've got to get this. Is that your, your concept of identity is what drives your belief and behavior systems. Say it with me. Ready? Your concept of identity is what drives your belief and behavior systems. Okay? This is foundational to the way that you live. Okay? Let me, let me give you an illustration. If I could take a handful of you in here, and we'd walk over to North Myrtle Beach High School, the, the lunchroom. I remember many, many lunches there. Um, and here's what I would do. I would just drop you in the middle of that, that, that high school environment. There'd be three, 400 kids in there eating lunch. And then I'm going to say, hey, I need you to go meet five of them, find out their favorite things, their names, their parents, you know, that kind of jazz, and all that kind of information about them. And you have 10 minutes to do it. Ready, set, go. Now, here's what will actually happen to you. Um, all of a sudden, I'm going to drop you in the middle of that environment, and all the anxiety and insecurity that you had when you were about 16, 17 years old will go a hundred miles an hour rushing back into who you are. And the tension that you'll feel in that moment is you'll feel rejected, unaccepted, and all those kind of things. All the tension that you had in high school where you were wondering, do I fit in? Do I belong? It all just comes rushing back. The reason is, is because you're in a foreign area, you're in a foreign environment, and all of a sudden, everybody is looking at you. Now, this morning, you may have walked in here, and you notice somebody kind of turned their head and look at you, and you think we're all looking at you. We're not. You want to know why? Because we're paying attention to ourselves, okay? Because you're our second favorite subject, not our first. Now, what would happen, though, if I put you in a high school um, cafeteria, is that everyone would go, hey, who's the creepy old guy? That's what they say if I walk into that room, okay? Because you're not normal, and they would all actually be looking at you. And every insecurity that you could ever manifest comes back in a split second. And what happens is, instead of my belief and my idea of my identity really shaping and forming my behavior in that moment, it's, it's shattered. Because all of a sudden, my identity is based on what I remember or the feeling that I'm having in that moment. And all of a sudden, courage and strength and fortitude and all those kind of things, being a risk taker, man, you, you, you shrink back. There's something about it. There's something about that environment that it happens. Or I could take you to a different place and kind of you could experience the same thing. And what happens is is because we lose the fact of who we really are. Now, here's what I think is fun. I love going into high schools. You want to know why? Because I look around and I know who I am. And I know who they are. They're people that got dropped off by their mom this morning because they couldn't drive there themselves. Okay? They're people that can't pay to go to a movie. Why? Because they have no money. They're the same people that if they asked to go out on a date, their parents would have to pick them up. This is not a cool thing for a high school guy. Trust me, okay? See, I look at them and go, I have no reason to be intimidated. Because even if you're bigger, stronger, and faster than me, what are you going to do? Come get me in my house? You might be able to drive there. You probably can't navigate there, okay? Directions, you're challenged. It's funny. Watch it. If you have kids that are driving, I have two that are now driving. When they first started driving, somehow the same route that we've been driving while they were growing up, I'm going... You, you don't know how to get to Kroger now. Okay, all right. Something happened. What, did you, were you sleeping in the car everywhere we went? See what I'm saying? I'm not intimidated. Why? Because I know who I am. I know who I am. She's cute. <laughs> I know who I am. And Paul is saying this, is that be sober mind, understand who you are. You have the capacity to do great things in the kingdom, but more than that, you have the capacity to love people in a manner and a light that you don't have to say or do anything else than, other than love them, and I am revealed in that moment. So how do you do that? How do you have that kind of idea, an identity about who you are? Let me help you understand that. So in your outline, you've got two triangles, okay? This is going to, this, this, for some of you, this will be a shift internally of who you are. And this morning, when you leave, you're not going to be the same as when you came. All right? So, Scripture really teaches us this, that we have two basic 
relationships with God. And the first one is called a covenant relationship. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but we really only have one way of resembling that in our culture today. It's in marriage. We call it a covenant. When two people come together and they're married, it's like two become one. Um, What you have and what you have become shared. Um, The dreams that you have and the dreams you have become subject to one another. You know what I'm saying? That's the covenant relationship. Now, I wish it was greater in, in, in this world, but the reality is there are some great marriages that really represent this well. But we have a covenant relationship. We have a, an authentic love and intimate relationship with God. Now, so put a C right in the middle of your first triangle, okay? So this is going to be your covenant relationship. Now, at the pinnacle of this is the Father. The Father is at the point of all relationship, okay? And our basic, our basic belief and behavior system Uh, works out of this identity, okay? This is how most of us typically approach our relationship with God, is that if I'm obedient, okay, if I'm obedient, what will happen is out of that obedience, God will will be drawn towards me, and I, I will begin to have a better and closer relationship to who God is, okay? Go ahead and pull up that next slide. This is your obedience. And what we tend to do is we, we operate from a place of obedience towards the Father, okay? And we think this is how we approach Him. This is how we connect with Him. If I'm good, if I do the right things and don't do the wrong things, if I say yes to the right people in the right situations, that somehow God will be simply drawn towards me. And I will get to have a relationship with him. This is our basic tendency. This is how we model most of our Christian faith. This is what we kind of do. Here's the problem. That's not biblical. That's not how it works at all, any way, shape, or form. Now, for the, the, the fill-in-the-blank people right now, I'm about to mess up your whole world. Now, scribble out that line, okay? Because here's what really happens. This is the covenant relationship that we have. Well, the Father works towards us. He actually reveals an identity. Go ahead and throw that up. We have an identity that the Father has bestowed upon us. See, we don't, we don't attract God towards us in the sense of like somehow we woo him closer to us. We don't do that. What happens is, is the Father wants to be with us, and he gives us an identity. Let me give you an example, okay? So this, this is a $10 bill, right? Now, um, man made this. Man created this. So we deemed, and we said, you will be worth $10, now, a $10 bill could go, well, I don't want to be $10. And $10 bill goes, I'd like to be 100 And I'd be like, well, when I took you to Walmart yesterday, they said you were worth 10 So let's take Walmart's value on this, okay? So see what I'm saying? Like the created can't tell the creator what it is, what it's worth, what its identity is. And so the Father has said this about you and me, is that your identity is derived from me, from your Father, the creator, the creation will be called what? My sons, my daughters, my beloved, my, the forgiven. You see what I'm saying? My identity is found in him because it's given by him. My covenant relationship, the intimacy that I have is as I step into my identity, as I embrace what God has really said about me, that's the closeness that's drawn out of that relationship. And so as I accept my identity, as I, as I believe that to be really true and authentic about who I really am, I actually get closer to God. And out of that place, I'm motivated to walk towards obedience. Because if my father loves me and his plan is to prosper me and to grow me, to make me victorious, I want to walk towards obedience. Because that is a natural byproduct of that relationship. In a marriage, when two people are committed to loving one another well, here's what they do. They take acts of loving one another seriously. They become intentional. It's not accidental that they get to the place at the end of their life that they've been married for 40, 50 years. That's not an accident. In my relationship with God, the intimacy that I want is not an accident. I live into my identity and I walk towards obedience. And there's, there's incredible intimacy that happens because of that. What I long for is the closeness and the acceptance of God. Every one of us here, I I believe at the core of who we are, there's something instinctive and inside of us that says, God, do do you really love me and accept me just as I am? I remember for me, this was a core principle of how I came to faith. 
is I, I got to a place of where what I thought was true about me really wasn't true. What I wanted more than anything else was to simply be known and loved for who I really was. The thing that drove Karen and George crazy about me was this, is there was this boy that was running in and out of their house, raising Cain, who just didn't know who he was. And when I came to know Christ at 21, my identity changed. The intimacy that my heart longed for to just be loved and be called a son, it was real for the very first time. And that's our covenant relationship with God. That's how it works. The father bestows his identity on his sons and his daughters. And out of that place, we walk in obedience. Why? Because the power that raised Christ from the dead is working inside of me. I'm able to overcome temptation. I'm able to overcome sin. I'm able to overcome the things that draw me away from him. Why? Because who I am and who God said I was. Now, here's the cool thing. The other relationship that we have with God is called our kingdom relationship, all right? Go ahead and pull up that next one. So in your, in your next square, I want you to put the letter K, okay? That's for kingdom, your kingdom relationship that you have with God. Now, at, at the point of the kingdom relationship is who? It's the king, all right? Now, it's interesting. In the kingdom of God, in all kingdoms, there's two types of people, in the kingdom. There's the king, and then there are subjects. The reason they call them subjects is because they are subject to the king. What the king says and what the king, king commands, that's what the subjects are under the reign of that. And for us to participate in the kingdom, here's the thing. We have to bend our knee and surrender to the fact that you are the king and I am not. But here's the incredible thing. In the kingdom of God, here's what happens. In the same way that the Father bestows his identity upon us and the kingdom, because we are who? We're his sons and daughters. We're given authority. So the very first thing that happens in the kingdom of God is this, is that we are bestowed authority from the king. Why? Because that's what he decided to do. We're subject to that. He says, because you're my sons, you're my daughters, I bestow my authority upon you. It's kind of like this. You go to a store. You go to purchase something, and, there, and there's a, you know, it's a family-owned business or something like that. If one of the kids go, hey, you get a discount, guess what you get? You get a discount. You know, if the deputy shows up at your house to arrest you, he's not going to wait for the sheriff. Well, I can't really do this because sheriff's not here. It's like, no, I've been given what? The authority to arrest you. Like, they're not waiting. In the kingdom of God, here's what you need to understand. If he's the king and you're his son, you're his daughter, guess what you have? All the authority under heaven and earth. And here's what I know. If my dad's running the show, I can do whatever I need to do that he's called me to do. Why? Because he says, in my kingdom, you have the power and authority to do what I've called you to do. Not because I'm good or I'm gifted or anything like that, but because my identity is found in the Father and my Father is the King. And the King says, you, you, I have blessed. You, my spirit resides in. You will do even greater things than me. That's crazy. That's crazy that he does that. And as I walk in that identity, here's the, here's the really cool thing. Watch how this works together. If, if I accept the authority that God has given me, here's what I can do. As I walk in that authority, the power of God can actually be exercised in, in earth today. When he says bring heaven to earth, that's what we've been called to do. The kingdom of God should reign in this place. We should be able to walk with power and authority. We should be young men and women, old men, old women, whatever you are, wherever you're at, you should be able to walk with your head held high. You should be able to walk in any environment, any place, and know this, that I am the son, I am the daughter of the king, and in this place I have the authority and the power to do what he's called me to do. I can come against evil. I can come against any wicked thing in this place. The power that helps me overcome my sin is the same power that I can speak life in the dead places. It's the same power that I can pray for someone to be healed. It's the same power I can pray and ask God to speak into a moment. It's all of that exists. Why? Not because I did anything or you did anything, because my dad said that's true about you and me. Amen? That's what this is about. I can walk into any environment now because of one word and one word alone that broke my heart in a way that I've never known. 
I was 26 years old, and for the first time, I'd ever heard this word, and I didn't understand it until somebody taught it to me. The word beloved. You are my beloved. You are loved, Alton. That's who you are. Like, if you ask me what my, like, like my real name, my real name is beloved. That's who I am. The greatest piece of identity about who I am is that's me. I'm the beloved. It's the same thing I've been seeking since the day I was born. And I found it when I was 26 when I understood I am the son of the king and I'm the beloved of God. There's nothing that anybody, anywhere, or any situation will ever change that fact about me. And so at that point, something shifted inside of me. I stopped caring what people thought. Now, here's the thing I'll tell you. I'm a lover by nature. I really, I'm a hugger, not a handshaker, that kind of thing. I, I don't have a real particular space bubble issue, you know. Like, and I don't like close talkers. Like, if you're a close talker, don't do that. So, but I'm like, I'm a hugger, you know. Um, by the time I end of a conversation, if you try to leave, I'll be like, hey. And you'll be like, we just met. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. That's what I do. So, but I'm a lover by nature. I love people. But here's what I, I am not hung up on what people think about me. I'm not. You want to know why? You didn't make me. You didn't create me. You don't have the right to. Now, I, I, I might do or say things that I need to change or correct. But here's the thing. Me, me, the deep part of me, you don't get permission to speak to. You want to know why? Because you didn't make me. But he, but he does. He does. And I thought about this this morning. There's some of you that come in here and you have father stuff that you're dealing with. And Father's Day is probably not the best day of the year for you. And, and that idea of the father for you is just difficult to understand. Trust me, understand that. My own personal past and that kind of thing. But here's the thing. It's still true. No, no man on earth should shape and form your opinion of him they will always fall short. They will always fall short. So here's how I'd like to end. In the same way that we began. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand to your feet. And I want to read just some, some thoughts about who you really are. That are based on scripture. That really are derived from what the word of God says about you and me. And here's what I'll ask you guys bring down the lights again. And I just want to give you a moment and space just for yourself. And then we'll go into a time of communion and George will lead us through that. But the question that you had or the situation that you're in or the reason that you're here, whatever that might be, um, my hope is that God would speak into that place right now. And as I read through these, here's what I, I want to encourage you to do. One of them might speak really specifically to where you're at. And what you're experiencing, what you're, what you're wrestling with. And I want you to just cling on to that idea. Okay? You just hold on to it. You don't have to listen to the rest of it. If there's something that just clicks, and you're like, that's the thing. That's what I needed. That's what I needed to hear this morning. You just stay in that place. And you just have a conversation with God. Thank you. God, help me understand. Change my identity. Change who I see myself. Change the way that, that I form and understand of, of what I'm really gifted and called to do. God, help me understand what it means to really love you in an authentic way by loving other people. But listen, listen to what God says about you. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I've been justified and made right with God. I'm united with the Lord in one spirit. I am bought with a price and I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. I am adopted as God's child. I have access through God and the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Christ. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured all works together for good. I am free from any charge against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I'm established, anointed, and sealed by God. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I am confident in the good work that God has begun in me. He will perfect. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I can, I can find grace and mercy in a time of need. I am born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. I am the salt and light of this earth. I'm a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I'm a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I'm a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co 
co-worker. I am seated with Christ in heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship. I can approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am loved. Lord, we cry out as your sons and daughters. We ask that your spirit would fall on us and would speak real life through identity. God, would you change just... Would you give us a photo, a snapshot of who we really are? Would you give us clarity and understanding that we can walk and power and authority in this place because our identity is found in you, not in anything else? Lord, we want to bless you. We want to bless you. And we do that most in the way that we love. God, give us, give us everything we need in every environment, every relationship, in every place to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As the perfect uh, token of his love, God sent his son to this earth to dwell with us, to model what life was to be like, to become a sacrifice for each of us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that Alton was talking about. While we were yet sinners, we don't have to be cleaned up. He takes us just as we are. You're here today, maybe for the first time, and you're thinking, well, I need to do this in order for God to love me. I I know that he'll love me, but I've got to finish with this. I'm not quite ready yet. Not quite ready to turn this life over to him. And what he wants you to know is that, yes, you are. Yes, you are. We're all about belonging before believing here at Renovation Church. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to come and allow him to dwell with you. And the believing comes. You'll understand why. If you wait until you understand everything that's printed in the Bible, you'll never understand. He wants to take you just as you are today. He's called you here today. Because he loves you. And he's called us to this moment to celebrate in a very different way his love for us. That he sent his only son to die for you and for me. I said last week, and I will say again, The penny dropped for me when I realized that Jesus didn't just come and die for the world. He came and died for me. He did it for me, for me personally, and for you, each one of you. On the night before his death, he was with some of his friends in an upper room celebrating a Jewish feast called Passover. And it's often the case around Jewish meals, which go on for hours. Jesus was talking to them, and it's recorded in the Gospels, about the things that are most important in his mind for them to remember. One of those things 
was about his death. They didn't understand that the next day he would be dying for each of them and for each of us as well. Scripture says on the night before he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke the bread saying, friends, friends, this is my body. It's broken for you. And as surely as he was looking at the ones around that table, I think he saw each one of you, each one of us as well. His body was broken for you and for me. After the meal, he took a cup and poured wine into it saying, this cup, this cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Every last drop of my blood for you. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you remember my death until I come. He wants us to remember what he did There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can add to the equation. It's been done. It's complete. It's finished. It's paid in full. He just invites you today to come to this feast that's been prepared as the servers come. This is a great time for you to take stock of where you are in your relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. Is your relationship where you want it to be? More importantly, is your relationship where He wants it to be, where He desires it to be? This is the time to talk to Him about any differences that may be there, any barriers that are in your life, anything that's going on or has gone on in your life that you need to set right with Him. Scripture calls those things sin. And Scripture also says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the transaction that takes place here. Now. It's done in the past. He paid that penalty for you in the past. You have an opportunity to receive right now. As you come for communion today... um, let me see. We got, we're pretty evenly divided here. This section over to Phyllis on the far wall over there. Center section to Gladys here. This center section to Stephen. And the big section always to Cookie over there. Our ministry team is in place on either side here. There's others of us that will be available. If you would like to come up for prayer, we would love to pray with you about anything that's happening in your life. There is absolutely nothing that's so insignificant that God isn't concerned about it. If it concerns you, it concerns Him. And, of course, there's nothing, nothing that's so big that He can't take care of it. He's the God of the impossible. He's the one who turns deaths into resurrections. That's our God. So come forward this morning. The baskets are for your connect cards, for your offerings. Allow us to pray with you this morning. Come to his table 
at his invitation.